Welcome to the Soul to Scene podcast, episode 25. I'm Andy Cooper from RMS Motoring. Today I'm with Ross Annett. What's happening? Gary Riley. Hello. And our guest today, Anthony Hughes, known as Artois. Artois? Yep, first that's, one. First one was right. Oh, that's what's not like Stella. No, no, not quite. All right, okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, very welcome, Anthony. Uh, welcome to the podcast. We'll pick up with yourself later in the show. Uh, a couple of interesting things uh, that happened myself. Uh, finally, after uh, BSing about EVs for about 20 million years, I've actually pu- pulled a pin and. A three pin? The th- pulled a three pin. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I know, pulled a three pin will get you nowhere, yeah. which is what we're charging with at the moment. So uh, I think I've touched on the, the fact that the arse has fallen out of early Model 3s, also fallen out of. Jaguar I-Paces and on Saturday I nipped across to Macclesfield to pick up a 2019 I-Pace for Mrs C and it is a fantastic job, very very pleased, a four, I, 400 horse I love them, <clears throat> it was the first ever electric car I had driven and I was just blown away by it, you know this is what are they, 2019, 2020 so they're, they're four year old cars now mm-hmm. and they were phenomenal back then I don't think they've been superseded by the likes of Teslas, not there. You know, they were very, very, out, you know, quick out of the gates. Yeah. And as you said, the acceleration of them was just. They don't. They don't have the same standard of battery technology as Tesla. They can only do about 200, 220 miles, and it's got a ninety kilowatt hour battery, which is massive. Tesla's is like seventy something, but uh, it's funny. Like uh, I've reviewed these electric cars, done videos, and all that sort of stuff, and then actually having one and. You ever reading and these people run out of charge and going, yeah, you know, or or doesn't mm-hmm. suit their lifestyle mm-hmm. and all the rest. See when you actually buy one they own, oh flip it, it becomes a whole different ball. The brain just goes out the window. Uh-huh. So I had it all planned. Went on the zap map and uh, it's fantastic. Did my journey plan right. I'm I'm picking it up near Manchester. I'm gonna go to Hollyhead, mm-hmm. across to Dublin, and then up the M one. That's all dead on. Uh it's 140 mile to Hollyhead from where I was and then probably another 100 and something mile home so I thought right I'll need a charge in there so I'll go uh, to a McDonald's fast charger 150 kilowatt or whatever it is uh, on the A55 just at the edge of Wales near Chester mm-hmm. and I'll stop there for 15 minutes and that'll get me to the ferry so that was grand I was in perfect time and like I was going to get to the, the port about an hour before it sailed so pretty much bang on time when I needed to go Landed into the McDonald's. First of all, couldn't find it. Drove around the car parked like an absolute lunatic. Couldn't find the charger. And it was like I drove past it like three times. Complete idiot. Then when I did find it, there was a wee... Uh, was it a 1008? What's the small oh, Peugeot? Oh, Peugeot, mm-hmm. yeah. Aye. And the way uh, the girl had parked it was the arse of it was across the, the car parking space. So I had to like squeeze, try and squeeze the jag in. So I've got it in anyway. And, and Sorry, I didn't know it was a girl parked it. Because she was sitting in the car eating her just, uh, just making sure you're not casting dispersions. No, no. She, her and her mates were standing, sitting, looking at me <laughs> as I was trying to uh, squeeze this thing in. So got it in anyway. That was all grand, and it connected up. And I thought, great, I have a spare space. The charger's here. I only have about fifteen minutes to stop, but that's going to give me enough charge to get up the road. Plug it in. The car just sits, says initialising, and I'm like, <clears throat> what's going on? And just it was just initialising, initialising, initialising. Nothing happened, and I was like, to hell with this. Out down to the ferry because if I thought if I waste mm-hmm. another 10 or 15 minutes here uh, some boy at the port will just tell me to do one and the barrier will be down and all the rest so 
that was not a good start. I since learned that if I just ejected the charging plug and probably put it back in again, it would have been fine because mm-hmm. the same thing ah, happened to me okay. on up the road. <clears throat> it's one of these switching modes kind of problems. So I blast down to uh, uh, get the ferry. That's all grand. Land in Dublin and uh, heading up the road and I went to a couple of options. I was actually texting uh, Mark fr- uh, from EVA and I mm-hmm. and I was like, Mark, where's, where's good? Forget using an app. Just, just go to the head of the EV Association in Northern Ireland and ask him for the chair to charge your car. Like, As such you a, do. Such, such a lazy bollocks. And Mark says, look, there's, uh, there's a super fast one at City North. And I said, right, look at the map. That's a bit far up there. We'll go to one at Apple Green. Went to Apple Green. But meanwhile... Google Maps, in its wisdom, had decided to switch over from miles to kilometres because we're in the south. Mm-hmm. And me, in my weakened state of being an absolute idiot, couldn't work out, you know, right, okay, the car's saying so many miles range. Google Maps is telling me so many kilometres. And I get I get to Banbridge, and I'm like, 20 miles range. <laughs> <laughs> what have I done? So I go into the... Um, What's it called now? It's not called the outlet. Oh, yeah. Whatever it is. Yeah. Whatever that park is, it's called a boulevard or something now. In the boulevard. Yeah. Someone's hogging the charger. I'm just getting a dirty look. Right, okay. So I head on up the road to... uh, There's a petrol station right on the carriageway heading Belfast bound. And Mm -hmm. I I remember it because it must be like a go station or something like that. Because I remember a couple of months ago they did a silly offer where they did right before 6 o'clock there's 20p off diesel. And it has the shortest slip lane known the man into it. Mm -hmm. And that's a 70 mile an hour zone. And I remember coming down one day and there's like just cars queued up the road sick flip supplies didn't write one off. Drive in and there's a guy on an ID3 there and goes oh do you think we can reset this? And I'm like oh that's, that's a good sign. Walk up and it's just black screen with like a wee dot. And then it just Tries to load and then reboots. Tries to load and reboots. Like, it's like a Windows blue screen just crashed. And I'm like, oh my God, right. I have like 15 miles range. So we're going to go next. Hillsborough. And I look on the app on Zapmap and it says status unknown. And I'm like, here we go. Go to Hillsborough to the um, ESP charger. It's not even, there's not a flipping wink out of it. Like it's just dead. It's just it's just a box screwed to the, screwed, screwed to the footpath. Waste of space. So then I finally went to, uh, at this stage I was in the single digits, Ooh. and crawled, crawled to um, the McDonald's, McDonald's at Sprucefield, uh, where I um, landed up anyway. Wife told me, well, how are you getting on with this? Uh, oh, great, great. It's fine. Electric cars are fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you'll really love it. You'll never have uh, range inside. <laughs> See you tomorrow. <laughs> you know, so land up. And there is a Hyundai Kona on the charge, um, Southern Registered. And uh, uh, pull up beside the guy and, and he looks over and I was like, right, how long is this guy going to be here for, you know? Anyway, mine's out the window and he says, he says, I'm doing it on the Sligo. And I'm like, oh my God, I hope he doesn't have zero battery. He says, give me 20 minutes and I'll be out of here. So I was like, right, happy day. So flipping, chilled out for 20 minutes. What's about it? Flipping YouTube on the phone, charged up for another twenty minutes, give me fifty miles or something like that, and got mm-hmm. home. But uh, that whole experience, like, and I of all the other electric cars that I've driven, I've had haven't You've had, never had this. Yeah, yeah, but it just shows you too. Like, um, I'm very lucky to be able to charge at home. Mm-hmm. And that, but that is a perfect example of the infrastructure issue. The infrastructure is yeah. terrible. 
and uh, and at least that guy was decent. Now, and funnily enough, he had never, he hadn't really seen an IPS, so yeah. we we're chatting about the IPS for a while and all that sort of stuff. So but you were relying on all these singular points, whereas you know petrol station, you go on and you've 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 eight tanks you can fill it or whatever. But yeah. So many singular points and a couple out of action or someone's using one or a queue or whatever and you're you're bamboozled, you have to head on the next one. Yeah. And and like and I thought I was right, well I know the range of the car. Mm-hmm. I know my entire journey. I know where the charging points are. I'm like, I have all my ducks in a row here, this is gonna be a piece of piss. And uh, just absolutely shafted myself. And I only shafted myself really because I should have had a second whopper at Apple Green because <laughs> uh, I waited fifteen or twenty minutes and if I waited half an hour, yeah, I would have been golden. But I couldn't look at that's mad. A hundred and something kilometers and work out <clears throat> how many miles I was yeah, going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Obviously, I can't do that. I'm not an absolute. Uh, well, <laughs> I felt an imbecile when I was cruising into on on the electron fumes in in, in Sprucefield. Uh, so range anxiety of probably then, you know, from from all the times you took and tested cars and did everything else, but yet when it's your own and you're yeah. planning everything out meticulously, yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah, well, that's, that's funny too. Uh, that just uh, I've actually written an article for, for RMS about this because uh, I was sort of really looking forward to the trip too. There's something about going over across the water to buy a motor. It's like, as, and I've called the article, I haven't, I should have published it before this, but um, stuff and things happen. It's a rite of passage the first time you did, and then after that. Oh my God. It's right, excitement. I, uh, let me just show you the. I'm not making this up. You, I haven't talked to you. Look, look at the look at the, title, the article title. Right, right of passage. <laughs> yeah, right. Buying a motor uh, in uh, down south, mm-hmm. England, Scotland, Wales. Mm-hmm. Something that's just it's it's fantastic. I, I yeah. no, don't get me wrong. We have the fear. You have the fear of going over, and will it be a ball of scrap? Mm-hmm. The money won't go through. There's a chancer. I'll I'll miss my flight. I'll miss my ferry. All these bad things. But when it's all all sealed and done and the car's good and all the rest and you just have yeah. you've been a totally that different part of the world and you're home. just oh yeah. it's class mm-hmm. like it's class have you ever, ever bought in the cro- from across the water Anthony? Yeah I mean, probably half my cars to be honest with you at least the ones that I've kept for any length of time you know that I was really sort of spent, spent time looking forward to to go for the last one, two, three cars and then prior to that was God knows how many but as you said it's part of I, I would nearly if if the two same cars, if one was ten miles away and one was in sort of south of England, then as you said, it's sort of there's no there's no real logic to it other than it's a bit of an adventure and a bit of a jolly. Yeah. You would nearly go for the ones in the south of England because, like, as you said, it's the uh, it's the anxiety of will it make the boat and what's the traffic going to be like on that A fifty five and mm-hmm. uh, and stuff and just the whole journey. I, I don't know why we put ourselves through it, but it is whenever you make it home, you're like ah, that was that was good. Like the flip side is that you know with the highs come the lows. If you've ever gone over it and it hasn't worked out. Yeah, it's crushing yep. disappointment. That's happened. You yeah. know, it just happened me a couple of times, and probably has happened you Andy, and everyone else who's been over. Um, it's just you know when you when you take out the money and plan the journey and plan the whole trip, and you've envisaged it on your head coming back with the car, and then you get there and it's a heap of shit. Mm-hmm. Um, I did go over one time, I remember, and the car didn't work out, and I just stayed an extra night. I spent my whole time in the trailer trying to find something else just mm-hmm. to bring home, even though it wasn't what I wanted, but there was nothing. I did it once. I had a. Um Flying over to Newcastle upon Tyne to buy a twenty-four valve Vauxhall Senator nice. X Police, as you do. Hopped into it. Guy starts it up, gives it a wee rev. It's like, oh, it only needs an engine. <laughs> at, at, at the purchase price of four hundred quid, uh, I was like, no, you, uh, keep it. You're all right. 
And then I was like, so I'll just get out of the auto trader and I'll be grand. Of course, it's a Sunday. Uh, uh. <laughs> and, you know, and it was back when it was like literally you're leafing through the mm-hmm. physical auto trader. And I uh, had to go to a dealer, one dealer that was open. What, the cheap, what was the cheapest car he had, literally? And I bought a 2.5 XLD. And I ended up daily, daily in that thing for <laughs> for six months. It was like, it got me home and then got I got you home. Yeah. Anyway, so uh, I have, uh, after boring everyone, actually bought an EV. There's an EV in the household. And you- see, see now, we have it and charge it at home and all the rest. It's first class. Yeah. Had you actually, so of all the cars you'd driven, <coughs> had you driven an IPS before you bought one? Um, I had been to see one about a week and a half ago, um, down here in Belfast, actually, just to see what it was like, mm-hmm. see if the missus liked mm-hmm. it, because we have wee one, yep. dog, all the rest. Was that going to work with family life? And the answer was yes. Model 3 wasn't really going to work because we have a dog, so mm-hmm. um, Model Y was too expensive. And then and then I was looking at, at and uh, top tip by the way, I have a top tip for you. The motorway website has a great thing. You can put the reds in, it gives you a valuation. But then it has a thing where you can look at the historical valuation of that, what CAP has said it's been over the last 18 okay, months or yeah. something like that there. So I was able to see that in the last six months that those cars had lost 20% of the value. Mm-hmm. I thought, right, well, hopefully that is not no, going to continue. Yeah. You know, so And it still has three years warranty and mm-hmm. all that sort of carry on, you know, so... Uh, some crack, but uh, deal done. They're, they're definitely one of the more attractive EVs. Like I've always admired them, you know, because a lot of EVs, um, not all of them, but a lot, I find are quite kind of shapeless and blobby, and they don't seem to have got the styling right. Are they either that, or they deliberately style them to look yeah, different, so futuristic, and yeah. it just doesn't work <coughs> yet? But the IPS has always been like a really good looking car. I know it's it's uh, nice. Now, old man spec with the cream leather and all, because I'm mm-hmm. old man now. So you get you don't, you don't get like sports seats or anything. You get the cream comfort. Uh, you blanket in the back window. Uh, tartan, <laughs> tartan rug. rug. <laughs> tartan rug. Tartan rug for the Jag. Yep, yep. Jagger golf ball umbrella. You know yep. what I mean? And when, when do you start calling it a Jaguar? Jaguar. Jaguar. The Jag. Uh, uh, and another news um, I have ha- now been steering the new Amira as well. Mm. Um, yes. Some job. Gorgeous. Some Absolutely some job. I've shown it to you guys earlier on there. So. Um, just had it for a minute or two that, just to see what it's that's like. That's the first one I've actually seen up close. I've seen a few in the past of me. Yep. That's the f- first one I've seen up close. And, you know, Gary was saying he thought they were quite small. But see, when you look at it, like the proportions are just perfect. Like, it's just fat-ass squat, wheel in each corner, like, right out, pushed. It, it's just beautiful car. It's very... I'm surprised how grown up it is. It's um, very comfortable, you know, like, heated seats. It's fairly quiet cabin, um, fantastic visibility for Lotus, which is which is really random. Has massively uh, extended uh, mirrors to see past those big haunches, and then just that beautifully pure hydraulic steering stuff mm-hmm. like that. It's it's very much mini supercar to look at. I think you know it's got there's bits of Ferrari there, bits of Lotus, bits of you know probably the Vora. You can see that in it to a certain degree in other cars as well. But they've somehow managed to melt it all together seamlessly. I've, and I've it had, just works. I've had cars like you see suddenly stop. People are looking. Mm-hmm. Right. So, still don't have mine yet, but I know I've hopefully made the right uh, decision. So, it's been an interesting uh, vehicle week or two for me, but not just for me, Gary. Tell us the news. Mm-hmm. Finally bought something. Yes. After many years. You know. must, we must have been taking the, the strong yeah. tablets after the last <laughs> podcast. I know. I haven't had anything since I had a, a Golf R for a while, and then uh, sold up before COVID, and then COVID happened, and I kind of had money sitting in the bank. I thought, well, buy something or wait, and... There's no point. It's going to sit in the driveway. 
So we had to wait it, and then COVID kind of ended, and people go back to normal, and we did up our living room instead, and spent money on various other things, so just never bothered with a car. I've been waffing along ever since, so finally decided to get my finger out and get something bought. So I went for a, an M4 competition. It's, what's up? It's, uh, is that like M2 blue? It's beautiful. What yeah, lo- Long Beach blue. So yeah. um, it wasn't advertised. Woodcutter kind of put me in touch with a guy who had it, knew he might sell it, and uh, me and him had a conversation and worked out a deal. And didn't go to England for it, didn't have that kind of adventure, but I'm still pretty excited going to get it, you know, and it was nice to get it. Yeah. And um, not so much range anxiety, but probably traction anxiety <laughs> on the way home, because <laughs> if you ever driven one of them, they're, they're pretty spiky in third and fourth. We, you know, there's so much torque down low on it. We were talking about that earlier on. You were saying you had a C, uh, C63, Anthony, didn't you? E, E63 I had for oh, a few E63, months. Oh, right, yeah. okay. The big, uh, estate or a saloon racer? It was a saloon, um, but it, yeah, because as, as, we were talking, I'm in a C43 at the minute, um, and I'd, as as terrible as it's probably a, an indication of age, maybe more than anything else, that the the partial sort of all-wheel drive was, was more interesting to me than maybe the extra <laughs> 150 from, you know... Um, because it's it's just not it's fine for weekends and, and whatever alert, but after about a week, the the novelty of sort of trying to catch the back end on the on the roundabout, <laughs> heading up to Newry, you know, every morning, and you just want to get somewhere. You yeah. just, sometimes you just want to get to work, you know. Ah, yeah. so. oh dear, uh, what uh, probably stopping at petrol stations as well on them because they were a thirsty brute of a car. Yeah, they were definitely. There's nothing sounds quite like an AMG. I agree. And that 100%. engine, yeah. engine in anything that it goes in, like in fact, you know, we were just talking about our Aston Martin across the road there because they're obviously now using the it's the four liter now the MG engine in yeah. the uh, is the new V8 you know but and uh, they're even still a cracker sound and thing but they all sound like just a Messerschmitt or something like that yeah. there, you know they're yeah. just absolutely unreal you just know the sound of an AMG when they're like mm-hmm. pushing it's just machine gun along yeah. yeah there's just something about them they're always kind of German equivalent of an American muscle car I thought mm-hmm. just yeah, that totally. big brute of an engine and noisy as hell Totally. No, it's uh, and as we were saying actually, AMG has become much more of a hardcore brand over yeah, the last. Yeah. Also, the, the the interiors on them as well, but sort of if you're looking at the same kind of class of car between say sort of the three big, you know, the Audi, BMW, Mercedes, like sort of the the equivalent that I was looking at was maybe a three three forty i Touring. And I was looking at some ads and stuff, and there were quite a few grand cheaper as well. And then I saw the interior and was like, Jesus, this looks like this is the same interior that my like 320D E46 yeah, very had, clean, mm-hmm. aren't they? Yeah, really like same steering wheel, same mm-hmm. button. I was like, this, you're paying that kind of money. You want uh, something a wee bit different, you something. want some, something a bit nicer to sit in. Like, mm-hmm. that's what you're going to be looking at the whole time when you're driving, you know. Um, and the Mercedes just so much nicer inside, it really was. The C forty three, so it's V six twin turbo, four hundred and something, four hundred something, yes, yeah, four hundred ish. Isn't that isn't terrible when that's a compromise? <laughs> I know, <laughs> had to compromise with yeah. something that's four hundred horse. It's silly, but it's sure. class. Absolutely. But remember, four hundred horse was like you know it was the realm of uh, tuned Cosworths and things like that there. Oh, yeah, remember now, now it's a baseline. Remember, Mitsubishi brought out the uh, uh, oh, the FQ four hundred, FQ four hundred, yeah. fucking quick as they said it mm-hmm. stood for, and uh, you know everyone was blown away. Mm-hmm. Apart from the fact it had horrendous turbo lag, yeah. But uh, four hundred, yeah, it was that magic number. Whereas. Our, our daily drivers yeah. EV has 400 brakes <coughs> the same all, all, all the two liter Scoobies as well if, if you remember 400 400 was the was you know kind that of was the goal. magical yeah was the magic number mm-hmm. get, get your torque and your, your horse part of 400 and I mean that's only what 10 years ago actually well, you consider it the three, three well what's yours yours is 400 and something yeah as well. 444 I think so something like that. pedal M4 444 Anthony's 
400-ish mm-hmm. years electric, 400-ish. Mm-hmm. My dirty diesel, 400-ish. Like it's, yeah, it's, it's crazy when you think about it. Yeah. yeah, that level of performance and yeah, and the entire technology and all the rest, like it's just makes it far too difficult yes. to control oneself. Mm-hmm. But and too easy not to. <sighs> exactly, exactly. Anyway, on to uh, other mundane things that have happened. I mean, not mundane. Um, but really sorry to hear about New Lake Wheels. Yeah. A, lo- um, a local alloy wheel mm. repair of, for decades. We've been on the go for, yeah, like 20 odd years now. Yeah, absolutely. The originals. Probably the it. first name that pops into your head if you're looking, you know, a really good proper refurbishment. Mm-hmm. So it's, um, it's sad times. I don't know if it's market pressures or or uh, or what's going on or um do you know what? The trade is hard to get people into these days too. If you want to be a mechanic or a painter or something like that, you know, it's not something that people aspire to get into these days too. Because I, I remember reading that they couldn't get a tire fitter, or their tire fitter had left or something like that. And um, you know, ah, sad, sad to hear. Um, yeah, I had <clears throat> been messaging him backwards and forwards. You know, after he, he he put the news in that there, and you know, when somebody's put so much of a life into a business. Um, you know he's heartbroken that that he's having to walk away from it, but mm-hmm. you know as he said himself, just pressures and and everything. You know the mm-hmm. the market that's out there, competition. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and when he sets his standards at such a high level, yeah, and uh, yeah, it's it's just a shame that after all these years that that it's time for him to yeah to hang up the lathe, hang up the lathe, and indeed, um, the other shocker I think it was. Uh, messaging you guys about was uh, we interviewed Bob Flavin mm-hmm. a while mm-hmm. ago uh, does car reviews uh, down south and someone hacked his YouTube account with 13 years of review, review videos wiped out and, and, his, and his livelihood now thankfully about three or four days later he got it, uh, he got everything back like but that's crazy yeah that's crazy. and again when when that's his livelihood online when you when you lose like imagine Imagine overnight losing all your income and your sources of income. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, that's a, that's a touchy bum moment. You can't even start from zero. No, you have you know that's that's the thing you have to build up over a long to be to be any way good at those online platforms. Yeah. I have no aspiration to be because I know the effort. You can see the effort the likes of you can't, uh, you can't Johnny just, Smith or Harry Metcalf or these yeah. guys put into these. You can't just redo it. No, it's not that kind of output. No, it's it's no. Uh, it's uh, mental. Very nasty. Whoever did it, like was it. Has he any ideas, or has he spoken about? Is it one of these um, foreign hacking uh, groups or something? Like that? Probably, it's just been unfortunate mm-hmm. with you know something going around, you know, so uh, horrendous. But anyway, on 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 the other things uh, like Gary Sierra Causey. Yeah, we we were talking about Silverstone auctions before. I think we've gone through a list of stuff that sold after the uh, classic car auctions in the NEC. But obviously, Silverstone, you know, they run all year round. We were uh, auction, auctions on the brain in the last episode. After we were we, after uh, we we were on the BCA. We spent more time on the BCA auction site <laughs> than we were actually recording this podcast. But yeah, we talked through some of the values because you know we, we keep like every episode we're talking about the, the modern classic market and is it going up, is it going down, and it never really seems to be fading away at all you know if anything it's getting stronger in some areas and this is probably an example here where uh, Silverstone have sold an 1887 Sarah Cosworth RS500 model Mm -hmm. I think 5,000 miles so it's not not spitting you out of the box you know it's it's, some of these cars were never driven but seen a little bit of mileage sold it for 590,000 sterling 
That's just mental. And then their fees and stuff on top. So probably, I'd say six fifty, seven hundred wouldn't touch it. And apparently the guy had kept it really well. He'd actually taken the wheels off and put on a set of uh, spare wheels and tires just so that it wouldn't be sitting, mm-hmm. you know, uh, in the way the tires just kind of collapse oh, in their blob. Yeah. Not me. But That's insane money. I don't know what they were new. Would you have an idea? Were they 20, 25,000 probably back in the day? Yeah. What, 80, 87? Hmm. I don't know. Probably back when you could buy a Bogo Sierra 16L for five, or for five grand or something hmm. like that there. Apparently, I, I googled this party. They had a low in the early nineties of uh, I think the cheapest RS five hundred went for just over ten grand. You know, and that back then it wouldn't have had crazy mileage because they yeah. were that old. So that yeah. just shows you like the kind of stratospheric rise it's had. It's like uh, it's like twenty two B or Lotus Carlton mm-hmm. and all that sort of era of stuff, which all all opposite or R thirty two GTR, all epic yeah. stuff, but just totally like nonsense money. Yes, nonsense money. I'm sure it's beautiful, but still. It's over half a million for a Sarah. Like, how much money would you have to have sitting spare that you don't even flinch at spending six hundred grand on a Sierra? But that's not mm. that's not bought to be driven. Like that car's <coughs> no, you know. But it's not bought museum, to be driven. Yeah. But how much more money? Like, do you think that can even? You know, is it going to keep lifting? And if it does, is it going to go up by another twenty, thirty, fifty, a hundred thousand? Yeah, I don't know. It's just a nonsense. Figure, it's like. nonsense, actually. Is it? I suppose it's every year goes by that car becomes more rare. You know, because yeah. there's going to be a few will be lost or sold or whatever, you know, mm-hmm. and disappear. Yeah. Renis, he had sent me a, a, a photo as well. He had, he photographs for collecting cars over here. Mm-hmm. And there was a, a 1976 Fiat 131 Abarth Stradale. And it was actually, it was a beautiful car, so it was. But it sold for £151,000. Smart. That's, like, it's crazy. That's and that's from over here? From over here. New world record on, I think I was collecting cars. Bad. Imagine not taking your feet to car and putting a stand around it and everything so nobody will touch it. <laughs> so, so, I bought a car. Well, not really my car. Gary's bought a car. Have you, have you won any cars this week? <laughs> no, I haven't won it. <laughs> I've won nothing more. I've bought nothing more. I bought an MOT, although that's... Oh, uh, hold on. That's, well, no, I haven't bought an MOT. <laughs> you need to I've, choose I've your bought, words carefully. I've bought an MOT appointment. <laughs> so, th- this is actually a, a state of how kind of messed up the whole tax system and everything is over here so my wee work fan I've just been it, it goes through in a direct debit every month for your road tax mm-hmm. fine no problem at all so start of the year I got a notification through to say your van's coming up in three years old you have to book an MOT appointment no worries at all so that was start of January I booked my MOT appointment for the very first available date which was 20 something of April so I got a letter through from DVLA to say listen guess what your car tax is due for renewal. You know, we do it every month, but after next month, we're not going to do it because you don't have it. Um, you don't have an MOT. Mm-hmm. Fine, no issues at all. So I phoned them up and said, "Look, this is the situation now. You know, I've been paying it by direct debit. No, what? And, and that was fine. My MOT appointment isn't until April something, and they were like, uh, "Computer says no." And I was like, "But so, what do you want me to do? Can I put a year's tax on it now and then just drive it until I get my MOT?" Uh, you can't do that there. I go, so so what can I do? Well, you can phone up the, the DVLA every, or the, the MOT appointments every morning to get a cancellation. It's like, it, like it, it just doesn't make sense, anything about it. So, yeah, of course I have to get a cancellation appointment, but, you know, when their system is so far behind that it's four months and getting an appointment. That's mad. And then when you've been paying your road tax, which mm-hmm. when you look at how good our roads are, like, you don't mind paying it. <laughs> but... But when you've been paying that along, and they basically say, well, 
yeah, at the end of this month, or the end of next month, actually, you have to take your van off the road until you get the MOT appointment. Yeah, yeah. that's free. No thought of your own. Like you're willing to tax it. Mm-hmm. So I, I will end up getting a cancellation, but like, what a shambles of a system! Mm. All because some fucking pen pushers are sitting up and cannot do a job with any sort of rhyme or reason or sensible time frame. Well, they, well, they got it absolutely shafted in that with the back just before COVID with the the lifts. <coughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah, the cracked, the cracked lifts, and then yeah. it just uh, like they just uh, got worse and worse after that. It's terrible. It is, it is a, a sad state of, of affairs that we have to use these government test centres, which are which in in general before COVID was a good job. But what what are they doing to address backlogs? Or are they working extra hours? Or are they bringing in more staff? Or they, they don't, don't seem to be. So uh, I think I spoke in the last podcast where the M three has been MOT'd and. When I was up there, again, there was a couple of guys coming in and out, and the testers were saying, there's some guy who was in, he must be like a local car dealer, he was dropping a couple of cars in, and they said to him, look, you're back up here later on this evening, squeeze yourself in early and we'll do it for you. And I was like, oh, dead on, like, you know, you get a couple more, couple more cars put through. And I was like, all right. <laughs> get them pushed through quickly, and then off home they go. All right. Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, if you work for the MOT Centre... We He's want to hear. Privatized soon. <laughs> we want to hear from you. Uh, although at the same time, I was uh, MOT in uh, the wife's car about a month ago, and I was looking at the there was a price list up on the wall. Mm-hmm. That price list hasn't changed in ten plus years. I, got- I may be tempting fate here, but thirty like it's been thirty pound fifty. I think since twenty eleven or something mad like yeah. that. Mm-hmm. So um, we might flip and be careful what we wish for too. Yeah, you know, by and large, the MOT. I think I do think the MOT system over here is a lot better than you know. What, you know, we made a joke there, but you can buy an MOT in England. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's it, there's <coughs> loads of boys have done it. There's quite a few rally cars on the road, but the fact that you can do that there, whereas our system over here, in fairness, is properly done. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't mind. You don't mind, but it, it, it's these it's these waiting lists, and it's kind of if you're on a tax. It's your fault, it's not ours, even mm-hmm. though we're facing a massive backlog and we're mm-hmm. doing this, that and the other. And it's not suitable for people to always, you know, get up in the morning, forget about taking kids to school, forget about this, that and the other, get on the computer to try and get a cancellation. Yeah. Now, I've no doubt that the next time we're talking, I'll be able to tell you that I was able to go on and get a cancellation. But part of the problem with cancellations is, who wants to drive to Lauren for an MOT? <laughs> <laughs> That's where I went. <laughs> Why learn, Ross? Why did you have to pick and learn? Because it's a wee bit further out of the way, yeah. mm-hmm. you know. But but who, you know, none of us want to go too far away from mm-hmm. from where we're based to have to get an MOT at yeah. a cancellation because they can't do their jobs. Well, maybe I've been lucky, but I, I the last couple of cancellations I got within an hour of searching for them. Yeah. You know, when I bought the M4, actually, uh, it's due an MOT. And the seller had a date, and I think it was another month away. And I obviously wanted to drive it straight away, so um, went straight online, looked for the cancellation, and just kept refreshing the queue, enjoying the queue. And within an hour, there was one here in Butcher Road, mm-hmm. you know. And I think it doesn't really matter time of day. People have this thing that you have to go on nine o'clock in the morning, and that's yeah. when they open up. But nowadays, follow the online bookings. Well, I suppose that's true. There's slots appear all day long. Do you know what? Uh, I think they could improve that whole booking yeah. system uh, as well for sure. Do you know what? It was very satisfying to go to the tax office for the IPS. She says, "Do you want six months or twelve months?" And I was like, "I'll splash out and go for twelve months. <laughs> go, go for all twelve. <laughs> go for all twelve. Big fat zero. Thank you very much. Happy days. Excellent. I was I was a bit sorry about my own because. 
the the dealer covered covered the first year, whatever the dealer worked out. So I never really just sort of stupidly I was excited about everything and actually pay attention to how much it was sort of thing. <laughs> I knew I knew it wasn't gonna be cheap, right? Because you know it's whatever, three liter petrol twenty twenty three or whatever. But when it uh, when it came came renewal time and the tax there, um I looked at it and I was looking at the bands what it was in. And it's not actually in one of the highest bands because it's it's actually reasonably you know, no emissions for what it is, but they they stick that fu tax on it for the first couple of years. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's right. Um, which which then brings it above what the upper band was. So cars over uh, retail over forty grand or something yes, like that. Yeah, exactly, exactly. It's, it's, a, it's a proper kick in the teeth. Mm-hmm. Sure. But so, as as I said, you've got these wonderful roads to drive on. Oh, I makes it all worthwhile. Yeah, yeah. I was checking out the Lotus. As, as in doing the checkout process on the Lotus website, not mm-hmm. just standing there checking it out. It's <laughs> <laughs> a happy day anyway, of course. But uh, and then it was like first year's road fund license, and I can't remember the exact number, but it's something like sixteen hundred and twenty-five quid or something like that. There, and I was like, uh, yeah, uh, yep, it's horrendous, grim, mm-hmm. grim. But then, then you think like a couple of miles south from here across the border you pay that on like a, a family car yeah for your oh, tax you know fences yeah yep so and the vrt <coughs> vrt and the vrt yeah. and the vrt scary mm-hmm. wild altogether. altogether i looked at a few m4s down south just out of curiosity you know because i have bought the car down there and they're all like 25 euro more than you pay in england mm-hmm. that's just pure vrt it's mad i just can't wrap my head around it Funny, Mark from Our Kings again, he was speaking to Renault out there and he was saying whenever they bring on like performance cars, Southern registered, he knows they will sell. So so the cars that had the VRT paid on them already, mm-hmm. they're selling them out in, in no record time. times. Cause Isn't there something about a car that's originally registered in Northern Ireland as well? There's some sort of... Something. I think it has to be in, yes there was, but there was something that had to be registered in Northern Ireland and be resident in Northern Ireland for more than 12 months. Um, you know, it's not a car that's been bought in from England and then stuck Northern Ireland plates on it uh-huh. and then shipped down south. So there was something about it. it had to be in Northern Ireland for a certain amount of time before it could go down mm-hmm. at the cheaper rate. Yeah. Oh, I. But yeah. Class. Well, the reason that this gentleman's sitting beside me is much more interesting, I think, than uh, any of that combined. Mm-hmm. Even my stories. <laughs> uh, Anthony, great to have you here. Uh, you've done something that seems so spectacular and just mind-blowing that uh, we couldn't not have you on. Uh, so thanks for thanks for coming here because uh, not only are you a, a learned, learned member of RMS and your counsel is, is widely sought on the forum, <laughs> but uh, and this is where my I know very little about what you've done, but it just sounds absolutely crazy. You started a crowdfunding campaign to go and buy a pickup and take it full of kit to Ukraine. Yep, that was that was the plan, as insane as it sounds, yeah. That is, like, uh, so you're just back? Back, uh, what day is today? Back about 11 days now, yeah. Okay, so. and, and drove the whole way there and uh, flew back, or? Yep, yep, uh, drove, drove the whole way there, Um which isn't actually as bad as it sounds. Um, and then about 36 hours worth of trains and buses oh, yeah, like to Warsaw. Interrailed it back up the road. Yeah. And then, uh, well, no, that was just to get to Warsaw. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. Oh. And then uh, and then flew flew Warsaw Dublin. Yeah. Wow. Okay. To somebody like me who can't visualize a map, where where do you go when you were heading out there? What was your route? Uh, so uh, Dublin Hollyhead, because 
fact that long boat to Liverpool or anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that was that was the early boat on the Monday morning into Hollyhead for just after eleven, feeling nice and fresh. And then uh, it's not too; it's like a six and a half hour drive, coast to coast, nearly uh, to Harwich, just kind of north northeastish of of London City. Mm-hmm. Um, small enough port, and then overnight boat in the Holland on the Ostend line and that was an early Tuesday morning and then it's a really long really easy really boring drive across the width of Netherlands the width of Germany and then uh, in the sort of halfway into Poland we stopped overnight then but uh, yeah that was out of it sounds a bit silly it was driving driving a 4x4 through a war zone but the least enjoyable part of the whole trip was that them auto bands in in Netherlands and Germany? It's just so boring, just so <coughs> long, slow and boring. Did anything well, pass your warp speed that was uh, like, yeah, pick yeah. your attention up? Uh, uh, absolutely no. Yes, there, there's a reason the discipline there is so good. That's because you you will have you will have some guy on the way to a meeting the other side of Germany. You know, up your up your backside at like one thirty, one forty, one fifty. No problem. Like every couple of minutes, you know. Mm-hmm. But I mean, that's the, just the nature of it. You know? The the other one's uh, cracker. But let, let's let's wind back the clock to where where did this idea come from and and how did you get from that to to being on the road going there? Um, well, I sort of I'd always have uh, friends in Ukraine, um, and I know Ukrainians living in, living in Northern Ireland for a long time. So it was always sort of semi aware of what was going on there. Like people maybe aren't aware, but like the the war, the so called anniversary was. Um, during the week there the 24th uh, for like you know the year of the war or whatever but actually it's been going on for nine years um, and even before sort of last February there was I think it was well over 10,000 Ukrainians killed like um, by Russians mostly contained to the east of the country um, so even further away from us so even less attention was really paid mm-hmm. to it kind of thing um, and uh, so I've always been kind of semi-aware of it and then obviously last early last year it sort of really ramped up kicked off and um, I was talking to people that were in the country and I was talking to people that had gone over um, a couple of guys I know that served um, both the British Army and Irish Army went over to volunteer and fight um, and I was sort of uh, as, as I was like I'm literally texting people and they're you know they've, they've missiles on outside in the street kind of thing in cave first couple of days I'm like geez, what, what can I do here like I felt you just felt kind of useless you know um, and I sort of thought well, there's no point in going over and like Volunteer to fight around would be I'd do more harm to the people around me than you know <laughs> and that's like, um so it was sort of like like what 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 do they really need and it was like real basic stuff like uh, tourniquets um for for like civilians and military casualties um big one was vehicles like vehicles 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 because their their army uh sort of basically tripled in size overnight because they had to. To, to, to surely have the numbers to kind of defend against the Russians um, and you know stuff like uniforms and guns and bullets whatever that's for, that's taken a, that's taken care of on a, on a kind of high level and governments and aid agencies and that kind of thing but just real simple stuff like a like a pickup truck and like right what, what do they need a pickup truck for um, well all their ambulances especially in the east of the country just got destroyed in like the first month wow. whether through mm-hmm. the hospitals being intentionally <clears throat> struck uh, which is still happening to this day. You know, fire stations, fire, whatever, they, they're intentionally struck to sort of reduce the capabilities of the emergency services. Um, but also, you know, you have these frontline cities where there's just thousands and thousands of artillery shells landing every day. 
and you have an ambulance going into there to, you know, whether pick up a wounded soldier or civilians in the area, whatever it is, this got destroyed, just, you know, their whole fleet. Um, so that's that was kind of the idea, right? They're using pickups basically for evacuating people. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was kind of like, right, I know cars, mm-hmm. I know four by fours and stuff, right? That's where I can help. And that's kind of just where the whole idea came from. Was it's amazing. Spectacular. Absolutely. Yeah. <coughs> so so uh, what made you decide on uh, Mitsubishi's, uh, Mitsubishi's finest? Uh, yeah, n- noisy, thirsty, rattly, um, <laughs> but broadly unkillable. Yeah. Um, same with all the old Japanese stuff, provided they don't snap in half, like Navarra <laughs> style. But um, uh, Although some of the L200s have started doing that now as well, I've seen. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, that's. I mean, they're like us. They know what's what's kind of old and reliable. And mm-hmm. uh, there's any time you're out there, see a green truck going past. Eighty percent of the time, it's it's an L two hundred. Like, All right, okay. You know, so the the parts are widely available. They like them. Um, you know, the good bed size and stuff, and five seats. All the rest, um, and they, they can tow it for a bit as well. Actually, so you, so you had the idea. Yeah. Which. Uh, seems fine, like uh, lying in a nice warm bed at night, watching a uh, bit of Netflix and, and whatever else over here. To then, right? Oh, maybe an L two hundred would be good, and I know cars and all. But but what makes you then take the next step of? Because I presume then it's right. Tell people, and I need a few pound here to actually make this happen. Was it? Is that what what came next? That's pretty much exactly what happened, and I have zero, and I mean zero fundraising experience, or you know, nothing to do with Charlie's or, or anything. Uh, last time I raised money, it was probably like a, a cake sale or something. <laughs> <time ago. laughs> um, you didn't think the cakes would do it this time round? No, no, not quite. Um, although the, pri- the price for a Rice Krispie bun these days, you never know. But um, No, so, so I, I, I fired up the old Facebook, which I hadn't, I'd like deactivated years ago. And you still had sort of friends and ex-colleagues and family and stuff on there. Um, and knocked together like a wee page and an idea of what it was doing. And like, of course, 90% of the reactions was either like, you're a lunatic, get lost, or, you know, uh, that, that kind of thing. There was a few supportive people. Um, and I managed to get, um, actually, shout out to Stephen from Used Cars NI. Um, mm-hmm. They were super excited about it. They sent out an email um, to their kind of their, their customers basically mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. saying what I was after and, and they, they made a, a sizable donation mm-hmm. as well um, and a couple other businesses too and then I kind of leveraged just, just social media um, Twitter was a big one as well um, I kind of have a semi-decent account on there that I could sort of leverage to um, you know and most of the people on there are kind of where it was happening um, and I, I always kind of knew that once I got the first one done the rest should, in theory, be easier, right? Because mm-hmm. I'm not just some agent from Northern Ireland with this great idea. I'll have the photos and the videos and stuff, which I do now, just sort of to show where I was and who I met and, and that kind of thing. Um, and I, I reached out to a guy, Ukrainian guy, now living in America, that used to serve uh, there back in 2015, 2016. I was like, listen, right, I have this pickup truck. It exists. It's not just an idea anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm booking ferries and stuff. Who needs it the most? Um, and he put me in contact with a couple of guys out in eastern Ukraine um, and then yeah, went through all the paperwork processes and all the rest and the journey and then eventually got to got to hand it over to them um, It's amazing Very, very satisfying So, uh, and 
not only did you do that, you you had a thread in RMS, and so you were. And I'll post this in uh, in the show notes because it was it was we all got to sort of share in your your journey because you kept that really up to date as you went along, saying like this is what I'm thinking of doing, and then the crowdfunding and and here's what I bought and and here's what I'm going to take. So so not only you decided well I'm going to take take this over, but I'm sure you were thinking, right? Who's it going to go to? What else am I going to bring? Like, what else? What else was in, well, involved? Did that all sort of start to come as you were starting to raise the money, or did you had that decided beforehand? Or well, initially, the idea was I wanted to buy um, kind of emergency and sort of tactical medicine stuff. So we talked about like tourniquets and uh, mm-hmm. Israeli bandages and sort of hemostatic clotting agents, basically, and stuff for for severe wounds. Um, at, but at that time, uh, they were basically sold out everywhere. Because everyone that knew anything about it was had the same was ideas, out or trying to yeah. trying to help out. Or, I mean, there was probably in France, <coughs> there's probably a bit of profiteering going on as well. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Th- unfortunately, that always happens. Um, so I thought, right, okay, so I'll knock this in the head. Um, and sort of by the time I was getting ready to go, it was coming in uh, sort of late autumn, early winter time, and the Russians had really started to ramp up the attacks on um, like the the thermal power plants and stuff, and the gas plants and basically to try and freeze the Ukrainians out over the winter. So 90% of Ukraine was running on small diesel generators, basically. Um, and I thought, right, okay, that's, that should be straightforward enough to get a hold of, you mm-hmm. know, um, get something decent. And the money that I would have spent with kind of the, uh, at least locally, kind of the, 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 the really extortionate medicine prices and stuff, I got a really good, um, it was like a six, six kilowatt um, electric start diesel generator, you know, on a frame. Um, from actually uh, Wilson's off the forum. Yes, Simon. that's Simon. Yeah, fantastic. I saw that on the back of the uh, in the in the photos of it on the back of the. Yeah. And and then, uh, so you're you're on this journey. You're uh, you're in your pickup, absolutely full of stuff. Was it just yourself? Was anyone over else with you as well? Do you have a, you have a wingman? Yeah. So I actually, uh, pure pure coincidence, absolute luck um, that I'd, I'd posted on because I knew I had a wee a wee bit of room left um, in the back of the truck, and I just there's there's that many like Facebook groups like humanitarian aid, Northern Ireland, blah blah blah, and I just posted and said said look, I'm I'm heading to Ukraine. I have a bit of room in the back of the truck. If anyone needs anything, to throw in. Now's the time to shout because you know I'll be leaving. It's, it's I won't charge you anything. Whatever. It's, you know, have the room. Um, and there was actually was a bunch of people who reached out. Um, a lovely lady uh, from up Comber direction. Her church group uh, had raised funds and they had bought loads of like batteries and heaters and lights and stuff to mm-hmm, go mm-hmm. to um, some civilians uh, in frontline cities. Um, so that that took a took a bit of room up. And then there was a lady actually reached out. She was hosting a Ukrainian family here in Northern Ireland since since early last year. Um, and the husband obviously stayed behind, as as most of them did. And they hadn't seen each other in like nearly a year, you know. Um, and they had like a wee kind of parcel they had knocked together from for kind of like Christmas that, you know, sent home to dad mm-hmm. kind of thing. Um, and as soon as I told that, I was like, geez, my heart, my heart was breaking. Like, so I immediately agreed to that. Um, and that was one of the things I delivered as well. Had a, I got a photo up in the thread and mm-hmm. that as well. But um, but then one guy reached out, um, a Polish guy living down south. Um, he had been raising funds and he had about two or three grand's worth of kit to go to. Um, there's a, a group in Ukraine called the Georgian Legion um, and they're all Georgians. And for anyone that doesn't know kind of the history in that region, 2008, uh, Georgia was invaded by Russia as well. 
um, and they still sort of occupy like 25% of Georgia basically there was a lot of Georgians killed and it was bad but a, a lot of the Georgians went to Ukraine then to, to help them kind of defend but so it was a big sort of contingent of them and he had raised a bunch of cash and he says listen we'll split the fuel costs and the ferry costs whatever and I was like happy days because at, at that stage like that all came out of my pocket mm-hmm. wow. any any penny any basically every penny that was raised went for the, the went towards the cost of the truck and the generator so um, it was like happy days and then I found it was actually on the Polish border which was a nightmare uh, lots of lessons learned there it was it was very useful because obviously he spoke fluent Polish you know mm-hmm. right? so what, what luck um, yeah, yeah yeah very lucky very lucky and I was going to ask you about that because certainly the logistics of driving across Europe to me anytime I've done it it's really straightforward yeah but not going into somewhere which is a sort of is like a war stricken country so so you see so you drove through Germany down into Poland and yep. I presume all that part was fine and then what about you said you had problems at the border so what is that I have I have visions of the likes of even uh, the uh, long way up long way around type you know the problems those guys Got mm-hmm. got into that uh, uh, Ewan McGregor and stuff with the bikes. Never mind, this is you. But you're going into a war zone. Is it much more difficult? Yeah, I mean, I don't know how much of it is to do with. Um, obviously, Ukraine isn't in the EU. Uh, there's no Schengen zone. So, so Poland is kind of, I guess, the the frontier of the Schengen zone, but mm-hmm. both with Belarus and, and Ukraine. Um, so things are quite tight anyway. But I think especially since um, sort of the full invasion last year, things have really tightened up on their, you know, if you think, if you think about it in reality, they have to be looking out for smuggling and probably gun running and of course. all sorts of stuff going on, you know. Um, and so basically there's two lanes as you go into Ukraine from the Polish border. It's kind of the green lane, which is for civilian traffic. And then there's a commercial lane. So we were like, right, well, we're civilians. We're not, not not moving any you know goods to sell or anything mm-hmm. like that. Or so we're like, we'll, we'll try our luck into the into the green lane. Um, and uh, we, we explained to them, you know, we're taking this to deliver this and blah blah blah. blah. And uh, your man goes, no, nah, no, nah, back back into that lane, man. <laughs> and you're talking like a like it's an eleven or twelve RQ. Oh, um, and we we purposely went to one of the smaller border crossings because it, it's actually a shorter crew than yeah. done a lot of them. Um, and so so that was great fun. Now, luckily, um, uh, a truck two or three sort of back from the very front of the queue called us over and he says, you know, it, it was a Ukrainian guy, Ukrainian number plates, whatever. He was he was a lorry driver. Um, you know, just bringing goods back and forth, uh-huh. like su- supermarkets, whatever. And uh, he um, luckily he actually spoke Polish as well, as a lot of people in Western Ukraine do. So him and my, my Polish um, co-pilot had a little chat, and they basically the conversation was like, like because he saw we had, you know, because I had painted the car up green and we'd stickered it decent tires and all that. And he says, "Oh, is this for you know the army?" Mm-hmm. Um, and he was like, "Well, it's not technically for the army, but you know, it's going to the front lines. It's going to be." And as soon as you he, he heard that. This Ukrainian guy uh, at the front of the queue, he was like, "No, no, no!" He backed up his truck and let us basically squeeze in and skip like ten hours of traffic oh, on the border. Oh my god! And the guys, and of course, the guys, the guys behind him are going absolutely ballistic. Mm-hmm. But again, Ukrainians, lorry drivers, whatever. And he jumped out and he goes back to talk to them. Then instantly, as soon as they knew what it was for, they were like, "Okay, no problem, understood." You know, that's um, amazing, isn't it? And that's unreal. Th- and th- there was a lot of that. There was a lot, a lot of people. People realise you're sort of, 
you're there to help. Yeah, um, like you're there, you're doing stuff that other people aren't doing or afraid to do. You know, they, not that they're not willing to do it, but like you're you are this agent from from Northern Ireland <laughs> in a green L two hundred with a generator with everything else in the back of it, and you're going to their country to help them out. Like that's that's incredible. That's amazing. Absolutely incredible. So so you you slipped across the border in in just fantastic circumstances in the end. You were, you were being looked down on there like to get to get across. What was it like after that? Um like like normal, honestly. Um uh, and by just just for the record, for anyone that hasn't actually been because um typical typical me hadn't hadn't been to that part of Europe before or whatever. Um travelled a bit but I'd never been really been around Eastern Europe much. Um Poland is beautiful. Mm-hmm. And we were joking about the state of our roads earlier, like a, a little bay road going into like a village of like thirty people is better than than like our main roads over here, like in Poland. Like it's mm-hmm. it's so clean, mm-hmm. so bar- but it blew my mind anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, so so beautiful, really the landscape and stuff. And as soon as you get, got across into Ukraine, um, then had to deal with the Ukrainian side. Um, which is more paperwork, um, a little bit kind of, they're maybe like, say, 10 years behind in the process and stuff. There's a lot of sort of more manual paperwork falling out. And again, they're checking, for, you're not bringing weapons across or drugs or, you know, all the sorts of things that people are trying to bring into war zones. Um, but again, that once once they kind of heard what we were talking about, um, these very sort of stern looking guys with like AKs and military uniforms and stuff suddenly became a lot, more receptive and helpful mm-hmm. with the forms yeah. and stuff, you know. Um, and then after that, it's just, they, they waved us on, we'd filled everything out. Um, and we had a couple of our drives ahead of us and we're actually so okay. Well, I guess we're in Ukraine now, you know. Um, did, you, did you at any point have a, a contact in Ukraine, so to speak, or were you just going over and looking for, I don't know, an, an aid station or whatever, whatever it was you had? No, you know, so, so th- as I said, that, that was... Um, the, Amer- the guy, the Ukrainian guy in America um, that I spoke about, he, he had put me in contact with these guys in, in Kharkiv, mm-hmm. uh, which is sort of, the, it's the second biggest city in Ukraine in the east of the country. Um, got absolutely battered for eight or nine months. And then that was, if you maybe you caught it in the news, sort of towards the end of the summer, coming into autumn, that a huge big um, counteroffensive and they pushed the Russians back like, miles and miles so not as dangerous now but um, still hurry enough you know so I, I knew and I'd been in contact with the with the, the two guys that I was actually handing everything over to um, so they knew when I was coming and sort of mm-hmm. stayed in contact with them and had a couple of other numbers for people in country if you know if we got in any trouble or anything yeah. um, and also his kind of uh, his people had like basically written up a letter in both Polish and Ukrainian saying you know who I was, where the truck was going, who they were, any issues, call this number type mm-hmm. thing, mm-hmm. Um, and it, it was fine. But even, uh, especially the closer you got to cave, and then especially more so on the eastern side, uh, there's there's checkpoints like maybe every, I don't know, ten kilometers, something like that, five or six miles, um, and nine times out of ten they saw a big green truck heading east. Wave them on, kind of thing, you know. Brilliant. Because they know they know either we're going to do something important or we have something, you know, important mm-hmm. in the back. Um, and anytime we did get stopped, uh, it was literally just passports, grand, and they ask, "Are you volunteers?" Yep, and away you went, you know. Um, 
very everyone kind of very appreciative of, of what was happening. So really, no troubles at all. You would hear horror stories of you know m- most of it exaggeration and stuff. You know, you need to bribe people and do mm-hmm. it. That's absolute nonsense. Like they're it's, they're a country basically surviving. You know, fighting for the survival. Mm-hmm. Um, anyone that's arsing about trying to fucking do that is is going to get shit kicked. Get, get dealt with, yeah. <laughs> you know, they, um, they they seem to be uh, like a one one mind, one people type. You know, it's brought uh, you know the the, the people together. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean they 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 always they always kind of were, but but I mean, it's a massive country. Like it's it's forty million people. You know, pre-war. Mm-hmm. Um, sadly. A couple of million less that now because so many um, so many people had to flee. Um, but but yeah, I mean, in, in terms of you know, it's it's, it's kind of it's, it's an existential thing. Like you, you don't really have time to be worrying about the minutia of life, probably. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it probably is quite a, quite a unifying thing. So yeah. after you got into Ukraine and you're traveling then from west days heading further close to Kiev, I'm assuming then like you know silly things like the landscape, you know. It was going from uh, further over west. You know, was there any sign of the war or attacks or anything like that there? And the further east you got, yeah, yeah. So, so in order to sort some of the paperwork out, um, now in fairness, I have to say the way, like the way the Ukrainians deal with it is basically like if there's a strike, um, say a bridge gets damaged or something, it's like the next day they're out repairing it. You know, um, so it's it kind of everything's kind of you. You would be forgiven if you thought, God, this doesn't look like a war zone at all, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but the first time it kind of really struck home was we had uh, it was a city called Lutsk, just about an hour inside the Polish border. We had to meet a guy there to fill out some paperwork to register the car in Ukraine for the for the people it was going to. And uh, we went into this industrial estate, um, met him, he spoke perfect English and all, it was great, and we're chatting away. And uh, we looked over kind of the fence into the thing next door, and it was just this massive. Uh, it was like an oil refinery, and it was, it was like something from Mad Max. Like it was just destroyed. I was like, Jesus Christ, what? What? And they were like, Yeah, that's sort of like first couple of weeks last February. It was um, like we were in here working, um, and a bunch of missiles just landed next door. Like, and the whole thing was was destroyed. I was like, Christ. Um, and they said, yeah, it was terrible, like because it, it was one of the major refineries in mm-hmm. that, that part of Ukraine. They said for about three weeks, like you couldn't go outside without, you know, t-shirt over your mouth. It was just this thick black smoke over the wow. city, and that was kind of the first realization of like, okay, yeah, we're we're not mucking around here. Yeah, there's there's, there's real danger <clears throat> around. Yeah. yeah. Wow, unreal. And at any point then, when you were uh, actually over there, like, did you ever kind of stop and you know? You've got this kind of adrenaline or this vision of what you want to do, but at some point you kind of go, "What the hell am I doing here? I could, could, could end up in serious danger." No, and, and the way I dealt with that was by just not giving a chance, not giving myself a chance right, to, to think. Uh, it was a it was a busy schedule and not really. I was either sleeping, eating, or driving. Honestly, most of the time, mm-hmm. um, and just yeah, just didn't dwell on it. Like when I, when I, I spent because uh, we had a far far long drive through Poland through the border to Lutsk and then to Kiev so we stayed overnight there um, and then about 2am the air raid alarm starts oh wow and uh, and it, it's, it's it's very surreal um, it's you, you, you'd hear it you'd hear it in videos and stuff and whatever but when you're actually in the hotel um, but sort of the, the reality is especially in Kiev that they're kind of just 
they're just it's just they're so used to it now that people just don't even blink twice you know yeah it's, it's, I, it's I saw you had shared um, screenshots from your phone yes yes like that was oh yes this is the screenshots of the uh, the warnings about the attacks yeah so so um, again and Ukraine they're a very kind of uh, like a like a digitized economy, like every, you can do everything online, like mm-hmm. all your government stuff, everything. They kind of they, they put us to shame and, and ways with a lot of that. Um, and I, I guess like first first days of of the sort of full scale invasion last year, they were like, right, here's an app you download on your phone. Um, it it detects where you are, you know, so I'm in Keith City, or whatever. And uh, even before the 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 alarm outside comes mm-hmm. on. You get the warning on your phone, and then it starts going. But it's if you know if you're inside or something, where you don't hear it, or or maybe maybe you're outside the city, but still in an area or danger, whatever, it'll, it'll flash up. Um, so it was very, 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 very surreal. Um, but again, just just didn't dwell too much on it. Where it was there, just kept busy. You're there to get stuff done, and, and, and pretty much. Yeah. I think we need to get a few Ukrainians in the MOT centres here. <laughs> get the efficiency up. Uh, so you're you're in the hotel. And I just imagine then is this like a like a holiday inn in cave type? Thing? No, it, uh, actually, I, I, I splashed out a bit. I spent uh, I think it was like thirty five euro for the night um, for this real nice like four star hotel. <laughs> so um, as you can imagine, the tourist season there probably isn't isn't too great at the moment. So uh, yeah, it was, it was actually a really really nice hotel, really nice. And then you up two o'clock in the morning, that you out down in the shelter or or uh, what, what, so, what? So what I did was I, I knew there was a. There was I knew there was people on my floor because I'd, I'd heard them and there was a lot of them coming in and about. The, the hotel was quite busy in fairness, um, and I was listening. I was like, "Is there any of them? I mean, I'm going to stars." And then I sort of realised that when I checked in, I checked in really late, uh, much to the annoyance of the receptionist who was on the night shift, and they never actually told me where the bunker was. So I would have just been sort of wandering around the hallways, sort of in a daze, half naked, probably trying to, so if I just, probably just safer staying in bed. <laughs> <laughs> so you just, you just slapped it out then to see what happened? Pretty much. Yeah, pretty much. Wow. Um, so uh, like, you know, we're talking about the four star hotel and stuff like that. Like is life generally, are they trying to get on with life as normal as much as they can? Or, you know, so the, the way I was explained to me was basically, Everyone still in country is is involved in the war, right? So the, the way they describe it is, if you're if you're in Kiev City, and you're still going to work every day, or, or you're going to the cafe, you know, for for a coffee at lunchtime, whatever. Mm-hmm. Basically, they they have to keep the economy going in order to keep sort of the, their defence going, because you know, they have to be able to pay the soldiers. Yep, they have to, be able to pay for ammo, they have to pay for fuel, because all, basically all I was talking about the refineries got destroyed. Mm-hmm. All their fuel is imported now. Like every every liter of of petrol and diesel is imported. So the the the, the way they, they describe it is, well, who's going to pay for that? We ha- we have to try and keep as many businesses as going as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, when the guys are rotating out from the front line after like three years th- or sorry th- three months, like stuck in a fucking hole, um, getting shelled, they, they you know we need to be able to provide them some semblance of normality when they you know when they're off the front line for a week or two. Um, now, the view on that differs depending on who you ask, but but you know they're they're basically like we have to we're not, we're not going to give in and just roll over and say well sure, it's all done now we'll just give up. Um, so they're they're kind of just it's a very kind of stoic um, kind of attitude that everyone has. It's like no, just we keep going, we keep supporting the guys in the front, and um, and yeah, as, as I said, as you you would be. 
forgiven if, if you mistook it as you know normality, but it's not normality. I mean, everyone in Ukraine is. I mean, they're heavily traumatized. Like, especially you think Kiev city basically was maybe like a day or two from being absolutely destroyed by Russia. If you remember, like back at the start mm-hmm. of the war, um, there were like there were ten kilometers out. It from, was heavy, from constant city. bombardment, oh, shells, it was, missiles, and then you know you forget. It's like um, it's like you live. Say, say we lived lived around here in central Belfast, mm-hmm. and you have family. Um, I don't know, out Dundonald direction. Um, and, you know, the, the, the goal is Belfast or whatever. And But the Russians do get as far as Dundonald. And then whenever they're kicked out, you go there and you find, like, your neighbours, your family, whatever, um, just butchered in the streets. Like, you know, so, so they're... they're, 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 they're the, the, and again, this was just sort of some private conversation with Ukrainians. Like, the, their whole society is heavily traumatised and still processing all that. Mm-hmm. And that's ongoing, but, but at the same time, they're like, no, we're just we're going to get on with things. We're going to go to work. I'm going to go for my coffee in the afternoon. And I'm going to enjoy it. And even if mm-hmm. there's an air raid alarm going off, it's like, it's like, well, fuck you, Russia. I'm having my coffee mm-hmm. kind of thing. Very strange, but... I think traumatised yeah. is probably a really good way to describe it because, you know, at, at the very start, so, you know, the, the first couple of months after the war started, certainly Twitter... Telegram, Facebook, everything was very much, you know. Of course, the people who want to see the worst in things and want to see the videos of people getting shot and whatever else, some of the stuff that was going around was grim, isn't even the word, like mm-hmm. just horrifying, terrifying, disgusting, showing like the absolute worst traces of, of society with lacks of humanity. Was it as bad? Like, I know, I know this is kind of. You know, we're a modern podcast, but this is Anthony. You, you've been a guy who's been there. You've seen it and done it. You've spoke to the people who have lived this for the last, not just the last year, but the last year specifically. But you know, how how bad was it really getting over there? Like, was was the videos that we were seeing was that like really commonplace? Um, I, I mean, in in the occupied areas, like it's it's. This put it this way: this, the stuff that makes it to Twitter or whatever is maybe like a tenth of the footage that's going around, and the footage that's going around is maybe like a one percent of what's actually happening. You know, mm-hmm. um, it's uh, yeah. I mean, there's, there's no there's no sugarcoating it. Like it was it was absolutely brutal, and it's, and it's not and it's not it, it hasn't just gone away. Oh. It's just been pushed a couple of hundred miles to the east, mm-hmm. um, but it's still ongoing. Um, there's there's still massive Ukrainian cities. That are that are still under occupation, still have the same thing. Um, you know, Russians knocking down your door at night, pulling your dad out of bed, and just you never see him again, kind of thing. Um, and if if you do, you know, uh, he gets found in the street, or whatever. A couple a couple of weeks later, I, I'm I'm trying to get <coughs> into my mind this, the the scale of the country. So it's obviously a vast, huge, a huge, a huge, huge country. So you started on the Polish border. How how long is it to Kiev in terms of miles and hours driving? Um, no, no miles or kilometers, Andy. You oh, know, yeah, no. oh here, don't. I know. <laughs> um, it's uh, so, so from the border to Kiev is depending on what route you take, probably uh, six or seven hours, uh, and that's pushing it on. That's that's doing eighty mile an hour, you know, because um, uh, it's basically it's, it's highway the whole way to Kiev from the border, pretty much, and it's it's good smooth road as well, um, and they're they're not too strict on speed limits over there especially as I said if you're driving a big green truck heading east mm-hmm. um, and 80's risky enough in an L200 let's face it in, for, in fairness right and I've heard a couple of people say this see when you have a bit half a ton of stuff in the back 
it actually is planted. They're planted. They are really planted. <laughs> um, it, it's when I emptied again, I was like, geez, this feels a bit, bit ropey in the back. Yeah. Um, and then, yes, and then Cave to Harkiv was probably about the same again. Um, but then from, from Harkiv further east, you've got another, I'm going to butcher the geography off the top of my head, but probably about the, at least the same distance again, probably way a bit more until so, the Russian. So you're talking about, so from the Polish border, driving time is maybe 20 hours of driving time to get to the front line almost? Uh, well, 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 it's it's sort of, the, the front line stretches around the north as well. So the front line at the minute is about uh, maybe an hour from Harkiv. Mm-hmm. But you you were heading to the north, or were you heading to the east? Where 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 were you? So, so I, I I was where where I handed everything over was was just outside Kharkiv city. Okay. Um, which but Kharkiv itself is like thirty miles from the Russian border. Um, so that that was why they they got hit so hard very early on as mm-hmm. well because they just went straight in, surrounded the city and and battered it. Um, and even the day I was there, um, the day beforehand, they had struck the city center with missiles. Um, and you could still see like the the debris and stuff from that, and there was there was a couple of people killed. Um, and then now, when an air an air raid alarm goes off thirty kilometres from Russia, and when it goes off in Kiev, are two very different things. At least for me, when it went off in Kharkiv, I was thinking, right, maybe I should actually go down into the metro here. Mm-hmm. And sort of, <laughs> but I was sort of looking around, seeing how people were reacting, and I was like, well, I'll just I'll follow the locals' lead kind of thing. Um, and then three days after. I left Harkiv. There was another missile attack in the, in the city centre again as well. So, so, so the L two hundred made it to Harkiv. You drop, and that's where the Jenny went to. Yes, and yeah, and, all, and that, that was the last one. That once that was done, that was me. That was big deep breath time. Mm-hmm. We did it. Uh, it's all gone, and now I just have to get fucking home, which was which was an adventure in itself. But yeah. Wow. And no notions of, of staying, hanging around. You know, when you're over there and the whole kind of, you know, the mentality of I'm here to help out, did you ever have that, you know, flicker for a second going, God, I wonder there's more I could do here? Oh, absolutely, yeah. But, I mean, you sort of have to bring yourself back to reality. Like, I'm I'm not there to be a hero or no. to, to try and get myself killed or anyone else killed. Um, it's, it's really just what, what can I practically do to help? I was like, well, at the minute, because... Um, for example, you go to buy an L two hundred or or comparable truck in Poland at the minute, they don't exist mm-hmm. because they've been bought out. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you even go a wee bit further west into Germany, the market there for them has gone through the roof as well. Like to, to get to get a comparable, like the one the one I got, I paid just oh, I'm trying to remember now. I think it was just under five for um, to get something like that in mainland Europe now. Is, you're, you're talking twice the price because the demand for them. Is, yeah. They're yeah. just buying them up, mm-hmm. just everywhere they can get. So I'm thinking, right, okay. So for the cost that they're paying for one over there, I can get two of them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I'll do the driving, whatever. It's fine. You know, it's it's not an issue. So that, that's that's how I can practically help. Mm-hmm. And you sort of have to set aside emotions or any kind of wild notions of yeah, you know, you're, doing you're, you're you're not doing real life college duty. You're no, 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 definitely not. <clears throat> and we've seen these handover photos that you posted on on the thread in RMS with. Uh, the package that you were bringing over for for someone, um, I think you posted pictures of that, and then p- pictures of passing handing over the L two hundred as well. Yep. So L two hundred, like, are you just down there? Like, does this place have it? You were saying that it was planes, trains, and automobiles to get to get home. I can't imagine it was like. Well, and I'm going to use a terrible example of getting the uh, 
translate Metro service. <laughs> it's better. I'm not. I'm not going to. I'll show you something later. Um, follow. I follow the guy on Twitter who's the CEO of the National Ukrainian Railways, and uh, it was yesterday or the day before he posted out of their national rail network. They had their best ever uh, timetable result. It was something like two percent of their trains arrived more than a minute late during the war. By the way, holy shit! Um, this, they, but the, uh, so. But this is everyone doing their part. This is the thing, like yes. this, you know, that yeah. is that, as you say, the existential thing. You know, just just this is this people pulling together, right. and 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 they, the, the, uh, it's like, uh, it's like NASA. Someone, you know, if I wipe the floor better, someone will go mm-hmm. to the moon. Type, well, you know, it talks back to World War Two, and you you know, people talked about Britain, um, all the people and the families. And the neighbours out in the streets bonding together and doing their part. Whole keep calm and carry on type Unifies thing. Unifies yeah. the country and you know, you've yeah. all got a single vision of determination Absolutely. and all that. I, I, it's so admirable. It's sad that it takes that kind of event to do it. Yeah. And that there's a loss of life, which brings it to it. Yeah. You know, as you said, the one day, like, it, it's like we're all sitting here kind of in a wee bit of awe and, and like what you've done, like the admiration that. that I certainly have for you and everybody else. And, and we all want to get up and give you a big hug, man. That's oh, no, unreal. That's, that's, I, 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 it's phenomenal. And we're, t- we're talking about range anxiety, and you're down for your wars. <laughs> <laughs> no. Well, at least bomb anxiety and there's missile there's, anxiety. There's and diesel everywhere. At least yeah. it's, it's, it's not too bad. So, so you, it literally is. Then you're um, at the city and you just hop on a train. Is it as at a Pretty, pretty much. I mean, I'm not even joking. Like, their, their public transport is like, I mean, not not that we have much to even compare no. to the rest of Europe. We're terrible. But um, uh, like, I've I've been on trains around Germany and other parts of Europe, and thought that was pretty good. But this is like, this is next level. Like, it's unbelievable, mm-hmm. and it's it's always been like that, and it's it's getting better and better, even even during a war. Um, so I mean, yeah, I, I got the train from Kharkiv back to Kiev. That was like, I'd say it was like five or five hours, maybe. Real comfy train, everything. Uh, Aircon, it's like trolley service and everything. Wonderful. Hot teas and coffees and whatever. Um, and all like digital screens. It was just honestly su- super, super nice place to be. And it was like nine euro, something like that. Oh, and then the night train to Poland. Um, that that was a bit of an experience because there was none of the, you can basically, you can, you go in kind of the second class, whatever they call it, which is like, uh, little cabin with two bunk beds in it, so you have four people in it, mm-hmm. uh, or you can go for first class, which is like was it's just two beds and like a nice dividing curtain and all the rest. Um, they didn't have any of those tickets left, <laughs> so I paid the it was like twenty seven euro uh, for the overnight, just in the normal kind of the standard night car, and that was uh, it was quite long. I think that train was at ten p.m. and then we got into Poland uh, just after lunchtime. But I mean, you can sleep through most of it, you know. So is that covering like five, six hundred miles? That's oh, of, I, yeah, 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 yeah. So you're you're oh. covering a lot of ground. Yeah, but it's, it's brilliant. But they have that they have that train infrastructure all over all over the country. Like it's, I don't I don't know why why we got rid of all the trains here. Honestly, it's it's yeah. absolutely insane. Because okay. you might might have rail lines we used to have in, in Northern Ireland alone, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and it just instead of having them, not sure. Talking about that, I completely off subject. I was driving in here the, this afternoon. And at the back of the the big Translink station at the Europa, it's the first time I've seen it. Like it's just this big mad looking building. Is it? Are they putting a whole? It's a new hub, a transport hub for buses, trains, for everything, everything is in there. Personal, yeah. It looks fantastic mm-hmm. already, but 
as you said, though, they? like it's great having it sitting there, but if there's no if there's no trains and buses going into it, like yeah, it's. I mean, there's, what, there's, there's there's one line now, basically, isn't there? Yeah, one yeah. goes goes to Dublin and back. Belfast to Dublin and back, <laughs> and, and that's it. Crap, that is crap. Yeah. But that's uh, that's just absolutely astounding. Like we're uh, you've 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 shut us up. Not that we have much to say, but we are. Uh, that's completely astounded by it. Have you had? Have you you heard back from the people in Ukraine then since you were there? Yep, yep. We're still still texting them, uh, seeing how they're getting on. They're he's. Like, you know, it's great. It's brilliant. So, uh, is it still driving around Northern Iron plates now, or has it got? Oh UK? no, yeah, yeah, still Northern Iron plates. Yeah. <laughs> um, Fantastic. I think it's Rose plates or something in the post. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's hopefully it'll. And, and I mean, if it if it uh, if it gets blown up or gets hit by a landmine or whatever, or, or you know, it's, as long as the guy's inside, it's just a piece of metal. You know, mm-hmm. we'll, yeah. we'll get another one. Um, so uh, you're saying get another one? I, I'm assuming now this is. This is the next, you know, keep the fundraiser going, keep the the, the crowdfunding going. Yep, yeah. So so once, um, as you can imagine, when I was over there, I made quite a few contacts and stuff, and uh, got through, got hold of a guy who's, um, if he's kind of remember, uh, the f- sort of first half of last year, um, that city of Mariupol mm-hmm. in uh, southeastern Ukraine, um, that was basically under siege for like two and a half months. Um, completely wiped off the face of the earth, basically. Um, some of the guys that basically defended that um, until basically they literally ran out of ammunition and, and food, water, uh, was the Marine Infantry, U- Ukraine, Ukrainian Marines, basically, and uh, particularly the 501st Battalion. Um, and a lot of them were taken as POWs. Most of them were killed. Um, and in prisoner exchanges the past couple of months, thankfully, a lot of them have been ex- you know, exchanged for Russian prisoners and released. So they're basically reforming that battalion um, to go go do their job again, basically, and defend more. Um, and they need they just need everything to get off the ground. Mm-hmm. And, and once again, okay, what can I actually help them with? Let's get them a truck, um, get them a pickup, and they can use it to haul their stuff around and move casualties around and all the rest. Um, so that's the next one yeah I gave myself 10 days to to decompress and uh, and, and rest and catch up with uh, work and other sort of more mundane stuff and uh, yeah back on the go again hopefully hopefully maybe start of April be over there again so. wow wow I'm sure that just that experience gives you a whole pers- does, does it change your perspective on life we're getting existential here where the, where the conversation it, it goes it can't not do right like it can't like it's you sort of you you even coming back, you get back into Poland and people are getting annoyed about traffic or whatever and you're like, you're sort of, he can't become one of them sort of holier-than-thou types. You're like, can't believe you're getting annoyed about traffic when yeah. this has happened. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But, but per- personally, it, it does, you, you, you catch yourself if, if maybe I'm getting stressed about something at work or you know whatever, like we all do, our family, and you sort of, it does allow you, I guess, to take a wee breather and think, actually, you know what, doing okay here we'll mm-hmm. we'll manage this you know um but yeah I, th- I think that's inevitable for anyone that that really sees it wow wow so back again another l200 and similar place different place uh what's the, what's, do, what's these, the these guys are further south at the minute um the, although they don't know where they'll be in a month basically they might they might be getting reassigned so it, it could be a, l- a little bit further east than harkiv maybe um, it should be maybe a wee bit sketch here, but it should be okay. We'll, we'll we'll figure something out. Um, 
And again, yeah, we'll, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. Um, if I kind of blast through the fundraiser again, like I did last time, then that's how we were able to kind of stretch it to grab the mm-hmm. generator and other bits. Um, I've actually I've managed to go hold of, of a couple of suppliers now for actual proper medical kits like tourniquets and that, and the prices have stabilised a bit. So what I might do is um, might just buy a, a heap of that in bulk this time if I can. Um, if you know, because if 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 I'm leaving in two weeks and we have the truck and all bought. I can raise a bit more than we'll probably do that by loads of loads of tourniquets mm-hmm. and bandages and stuff. Mm-hmm. And but ju- I just play it by ear. Honestly, that's that's kind of what I did last time, and it sort of worked out. It, it so, worked out all right. You know. Again, it, it's, it's probably a silly question, but you know more about it than I do. So, how long are Russia, or how long can they keep going? Are they like wh- what's their goal? Is their goal to keep pushing to try because they can only get so far? You know, uh, obviously we we've heard. They don't want to get too close to NATO, to Poland because they get to Poland, then it involves NATO and things like that. So, what is their goal? They're trying to get, take over, obviously Crimea, because that's a it's a main port. Mariupol, they leveled it to the ground because they saw it as as a stronghold. Are they trying to get as far as Kiev? Oh, oh yeah, I mean, I mean that's whether they will or not. I think everyone would agree now that it's probably not gonna they're not gonna ever get that far again, um, especially now because when. When it kind of started, Ukraine wasn't really prepared. Um, you know, they're not like an incredibly wealthy country that can that can stand up. Like, and, and mm-hmm. the, in terms of the help that they were getting from any you know Western partners, on was was very limited. And in fairness, the UK government have been there since I think it was two thousand fifteen, um, training them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, it was like thirty thousand Ukrainian soldiers. It was Operation Orbital, I think that was called. Um, I guess maybe we sense of you can you, you can tell. At least amongst the, the UK government and stuff, there was kind of a sense of pride there. But in terms of actual material help, it, it was extremely limited. Um, and the Ukrainian sort of society and army, what it was um, compared to this time last year, it's, it's it, you know, the Russians just wouldn't stand a chance now trying to get anywhere in the cave. They, they would, and they fortified that border so, so much now um, and trained up all the guys because. Uh, like when I was talking to people in Kiev, those first days when they sort of rolled across the border from the north and were heading through the forest and all, it was literally like you know, like an oil boy and his two sons got their hunting mm-hmm. rifles out mm-hmm. and their shotguns mm-hmm. and were out like taking pot shots at Russian tanks and stuff. Yeah, um, and now they've dug, you know, and 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 that that plus plus what army there was was enough to hold them off mm-hmm. now they're they're properly dug in like if the russians tried that again they would just would get decimated but but they do have this kind of concentration in, in the east um because that's that's where they've been since 2014 so they've dug in there there's plenty of you know munitions and and uh, artillery and, and, and all support sorts. now as well from poland and germany and and the other european countries who have give tanks and, and everything else to them too yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to play, you know, fortune teller and try, and because something crazy could happen next week. Yeah, you, know, you just don't know. But I'm just kind of, I'm. What, 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 what change can I affect in a, yeah. in, a in a tiny way? You see your path now, um, and, and, and listen, that's that's what I do. And, and if if enough of that goes on between governments and 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 other yeah. people, then hopefully, um, yeah. You know, they'll get through it. Like. And I remember in the days leading up to it that you know there was getting a bit of talk in the media. Russia was starting to prepare and it was moving around, and they thought something was going to happen. But did the Ukrainians have any kind of foreshadowing or foreknowledge of it coming? Or did they expect it to happen? Do you think the, the the people that 
that needed to see it coming saw it coming um, but I think generally there was kind of a they didn't want to panic the population yeah. um, mm-hmm. and that kind of thing which it's perfectly understandable you know um, especially the, the cave the city of millions of people um, they already had millions of people left I'm sure you saw the pictures of the of the Polish border and stuff mm-hmm. in those first three days like people queuing for like three days to get out of the country and stuff mm-hmm. so they obviously wanted to avoid that and maybe they were hoping as well that you know negotiations or whatever mm-hmm. but the um it's sort of it's come out through interviews and articles and that's and saying the people sort of in the military that that needed to know did know um and a big part of the reason why they didn't get completely wiped out was they were able to move stuff around so the russians had maps of maybe where all the military mm-hmm. positions of software mm-hmm. and they sort of dispersed everything and that those massive missile strikes in the first days um, didn't really do much to to impede them, and um, somehow they've just managed to keep going. Well, look, I'm going to post the uh, the link to your fundraiser um, as part of the show notes as well in the forum. Like, if if you're listening to this and uh, uh, get a look at that, and um, if, if you feel you should donate, that's the place to do it. And uh, hopefully send you back with another L two hundred in green again. Yes, another another dodgy paint job of mine. <laughs> well, I was going to ask about the paint job. So uh, on the on the lighter matters of uh, the uh, the actual prep vehicle prep. So uh, was there a bit of servicing went on? I'm sure you just you didn't just uh, say oh it's it's a Mitsubishi it'll be grand. No, no. It, I mean, I had a, had a decent look over it. Um, the, the pads and everything were all fine, but didn't oil change that kind of basic stuff. Um, was it a rattle can paint job? No, it was a roller paint job. Oh, <laughs> Coog special, a Coog special, fantastic. Yeah, yeah. yeah it was. It's. It's. It was. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm doing our quotes here. Off road paint, um, <laughs> designed for, I guess for. Old, old defenders and stuff beating through bushes and that um, but yeah we, we, we like a four inch foam uh, paint rollers mm-hmm. um, and it went on retreat really did D- done on a field down outside Greencastle brilliant because <laughs> that was the only place I had room for it for two brilliant. days <laughs> fantastic um, yeah it was actually obviously well then like, the, the prep was a pain in the arse sand it all down but uh, in terms of paint it actually Super easy. Have you got some yeah. of your RMS stickers from your drift car, Andy, for one of them? Oh, I, yeah, I'll we'll have to get some of my old stickers to talk to my own. But, uh, Cracker, well, look, we wish you all the best for the for the next trip. Uh, I couldn't think of anything more worthwhile at the no, moment in the world. It's, it's amazing. It's, uh, it's, it's ab- admirable, really. Yeah, it's incredible. And <clears throat> anything different about this time that you didn't get done last time that you think, right, is, is something else spurred you on you just right they just need as much help as possible or I'll do things a bit differently this time is there anything else I'm, I'm probably there? I'm actually probably going to try and give myself a day or two in Kiev just mm-hmm. to be a tourist mm-hmm. um, and go see because even a drive, I had like four deliveries to do in Kiev which was, took me kind of all over the city and even when you're driving around you're like wow this place is unbelievable mm-hmm. first of all the, the size of it um, like we got in real late at night um, and we were like right we're in Kiev City and I looked at the sat nav and it was like still 40 minutes to the hotel like it's, it's massive it's, it's, a ma- it's like a proper metropolis um, but it's, it's it really is beautiful like there's, there's a bunch of cathedrals and churches and all there that are like you know near a thousand years old and stuff um, wow. big beautiful buildings everywhere the landscape and so that's that's probably the only thing I'll really do different this time um, yeah okay fantastic 
Well, here, really, really appreciate, appreciate you sharing that uh, with us, Anthony. It was just uh, absolutely uh, mind-blowing. And uh, please keep us up to date on the forum. Will do. With uh, more photos. Uh, we we want to see this uh, paint rolling in action, uh, this paint job, you know. Um, so, what's your, you were saying you have an active Twitter there. Give, shout your Twitter handle out there so as we can give same, you. Same as the, same as the um, forum username, Artoir. At yeah. Artoir. If I could mm-hmm. t- time-lapse video of the roller job, it would be cool. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah with I'm the, sure you've bigger concerns when they joke. No, it's, it's actually, I, I'm not even joking, it was like on YouTube, how to paint car cheese, you know, something <laughs> like that, whatever it was. Yeah. And, and yeah. But it actually, yeah, it turned out all right. Did, recommend did, it. Did, when, uh, well, was, when you were rollering this, were you thinking, what the hell am I doing? I've just just bought this and rolling uh, a pickup and I'm going to drive it to this war zone? Yeah, I mean, I just, it was like, as long as, put it this way, it, it, it was bright white, which isn't really ideal uh, when you're, if they're taken into evacuate casualties and stuff, so it was like if if it if it looks vaguely green by the time I get there, mm-hmm. that's fine. It'll, it'll do the job, you know. So, class, class. Okay, okay. I think I have nothing else to add to that because I'm, I'm blown away. And there's nothing I even want to add. Like it's just uh, if you enjoyed that, post up on the forum, uh, like and share the podcast, do all those things. If you want to ask some questions as well. For future podcasts, check us out in the forum, and we're everywhere at RMS Motoring. Uh, Anthony, thanks very much for coming along. Thanks for having us. And without further ado, I think we'll pull this into the uh, into the border queue, and hopefully, don't have to wait for ten hours. Uh, and remember, there's no warranty. This was sold to sing. <laughs>